Thanks, Melanie, for doing our reading. Okay, did Jesus really say that? Probably not, at least not the second half. So all of chapter 13 in Matthew's gospel is just one big collection of parables. And like Melanie said, parables are teaching stories, and they're usually intentionally left open-ended, and they drive to their last line as their most important point. And in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells two kinds of parables. There are parables about God and parables about us. Parables about God are about grace, and parables about us are about accountability. Now, sometimes, though not often, the parable is followed by an interpretation to explain what it meant. Most of the time, but not always, the interpretations were added later, not by Jesus, but by future followers who are trying to apply this open-ended parable to their particular present context. Is that what happened here? Probably. Is there still good news for us in here? Maybe. In a moment, we will go over who we think said what and why and what we can do with these words. But first, I need to talk to you about the food that is in your fridge. So like, I wonder if any of you who are listening or watching, like, are any of you the person who in your house is in charge of cleaning out the fridge? Like where you go through and you pull out any food that isn't good anymore and chuck it? Because if that is you, is this something you do often or almost never? Uh, when you do it, do you pull out a ton of stuff? Like, do you, do you use most of the stuff in your fridge in time or do you have to dump a lot uh, that goes bad in there? And then are there any themes to what you're throwing out? Like, are there, are there common items that you are always chucking because you buy them a lot but you never seem to make your way all the way through it before it gets bad? So Andrew and I both uh, take turns purging the fridge about once a week. And I hate to admit it, but we actually end up throwing a lot of stuff out of our fridge. And sometimes it's leftovers that didn't get eaten. Maybe that wasn't such a good meal um, or produce that we didn't get to. And it's weird because, you know, a lot of stuff goes bad in there, but we never seem to be throwing out chicken nuggets. We never seem to be throwing out delicious restaurant leftovers. It's like, well, it's a lot of salad greens, to be honest. I mean, no one is more full of false hope than a grocery shopper standing in the salad aisle, right? Yeah, we'll definitely eat greens at least three times this week. So we chuck a lot of lettuce, a lot of kale, and, and oddly always half a can of black beans because we eat black beans a lot, but we never eat more than half a can at the time. And then we never get back to the second can um, before it goes bad. So at, at this point, when we're cleaning up a meal with black beans, Andrew will hold it up and be like, do you want me to toss this out now or should I put it in the fridge to get moldy and then we'll toss them out in a week? And then a week later, we clean the fridge and we pull out the moldy black beans and chuck them into the compost bin. But let's go back to our gospel reading. Um, I don't know how many of you tuned in last week and heard the parable of the good soil, which was last week's reading, or maybe you're just familiar with that in general. Well, um, if you're not, the parable right before this one, someone's scattering seed and it lands in all different kinds of soil. Some of it good soil, some of it bad soil. So some of the seeds grow and some do not. In today's parable, all the seed goes into good soil and all of it grows. Um, but someone comes along and intentionally sabotages their work by sowing seeds in among the good seed that are all weeds. And so both the weeds and the plants are growing up together. And when this trickery is discovered, the workers first want to know how did this happen? So they ask the landowner if this is his fault. Did you do this? Did you sow bad seeds? The landowner says, no, no, it was an enemy. So then they want to know what can we do to fix it? 
Can we rip these bad plants out of here? To which the landowner says, no, no, just wait. And then at the harvest, the landowner out tricks the trickster by saving those weeds and using them as fuel for fire, which is always a precious commodity in arid country. Now, did this parable come from Jesus? Maybe. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, so that makes it a little questionable when so many parables show up in all three Gospels, word for word the same. Um, but it does sound like Jesus, like the theme of gardening is a common one for him. The theme of harvest is a common one for him. And ending a story with a little plot twist, um, the using the weeds for fuel, that is something Jesus does in a lot of his stories. So it's hard to say for sure, but it's definitely possible or maybe even plausible that this parable comes to us from Jesus. Does the interpretation come from Jesus? Those last eight verses, probably not. First of all, it doesn't match Jesus' typical speaking style. When you look at everything he said, Jesus doesn't seem to do straight answers. Like in the gospel, Jesus is asked 187 questions and he answers maybe eight of them. So he does not give many answers. And actually what he does is he asks a ton of questions, 307 to be exact. So for him to respond to a question with, here's what I meant, X, Y, and Z, that doesn't really match how Jesus usually works. And it also doesn't match how parables worked. Um, parables were used by rabbis all the time. The Hebrew word is mashal, and, it, and the word also means riddle. So parables, they like intentionally don't give an answer. The meaning is supposed to be unclear. You're supposed to have to work for it and sit with it and get multiple meanings out of it. And whether you are able to understand or not, that's supposed to be like a litmus test of your purity of heart and faith and where you're coming from. So if you can understand it, then you know you're coming at it from the right place and headed in the right direction. So if a rabbi were to give the answer to a parable, that kind of defeats the whole purpose, you know, of what a parable is supposed to be. So to have this interpretation in here after the parable, it doesn't make a lot of sense as something a parable teller would say, and uh, it doesn't make much sense as something Jesus would say, but it does make a lot of sense as something the Gospel of Matthew would say and would add to Jesus' words. And that's because this Gospel, Matthew was written, oh, hello, this Gospel's written um, about 80 uh, CE, about 50 years after Jesus died and rose, probably in Antioch, which is a city in Syria where all of these Jewish followers of Jesus fled after the first round of persecutions around Jerusalem. So this church in Syria and Antioch, it was a mix of diaspora Jewish Christians and then a bunch of Gentile non-Jewish Christians. So like a very easy modern day comparison would be to like imagine a church with Republicans and Democrats mixed together. Both groups who tend to think very little of the other. Uh, and you can easily imagine both sides thinking or, or even saying, hey, that other group that's mixed in here with us, they're like as worthless as weeds. When and how are we to rid ourselves of those people? So one way you can read this parable is as a message from people who are trying to hold together this diverse early church and saying to both sides, oh, sure, sure, of course, you're far superior. You're right. They're wrong, of course. But you know what? Maybe don't waste your time trying to divide up who's right and who's wrong and trying to root out their wrongness. Because first of all, you are terrible at telling wheat from weeds. And second of all, the whole attempt is so destructive to both sides. So like you just focus on growing well and producing good fruit and God will sort the rest out later, okay? That 
would not have been a bad message for the church in Antioch to hear, or, or us for that matter. But I do think there's more for us here than that. And the reason I think that is because of those last eight verses, the supposed interpretation. Um, because that interpretation, it goes way beyond any image of like peaceful coexistence, right? This is talking about a coming day of judgment. All who sin, all evildoers are going to be separated out, thrown into this fiery furnace, burned up with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what does that sound like to you? Because you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like clean out the fridge day. Like open up each lid, take a peek inside, maybe a sniff. The good gets to live on and serve out its purpose and the bad gets chucked out. And you know what? If you've let it go too long or you were too ambitious in your grocery buying and meal planning, that can involve plenty of weeping and gnashing of teeth too, right? This sounds just like fridge clean out day. And of course it also sounds like the way many people imagine Christianity, our faith, that one day when you die or at the end of the world, someone judges whether or not you were good enough and everyone gets divided up and sent to an eternity either in heaven or in hell. Now that's not what we believe here at Unity, but it is what a lot of people believe out there. And that belief is reinforced by passages like this one, because the whole idea of good, bad, in, out, punishment, reward, that like sounds exactly like how they already imagined the world to work. But does it sound like Jesus? So no matter what you think or conclusion you draw, you've got some options. And these options, by the way, are equally valid, equally attentive to the witness of scripture, equally faithful responses for followers of Jesus Christ. So here's two options if we think Jesus did not say those last eight verses. And one option if you think he did. Here's what we can do with the interpretation of this parable. Option one, we can just ignore it. If Jesus didn't say that, and he probably didn't, it is completely valid to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I listen to his words. And if something is counter to his words, even if it is in scripture, I will not be distracted from following the words and ways of my Lord and Savior. So it's totally valid to just overlook it. Another option is to see it as a cautionary tale. Like, yeah, Jesus didn't say that, but it's included as an example of what not to do, an example of what it looks like when people twist and misappropriate things that Jesus says. Because we know this happens all the time, right? And if we know our Bibles, we can see it happens in very predictable patterns. Things that Jesus actually said usually sound open-ended and surprising. Think the Beatitudes, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, Resurrection. His teachings always like upend what we think we know. They're usually both more demanding and more grace-filled than we would have expected, right? Like that, that's Jesus, that's what it sounds like. What we twist Jesus' words into also follows very predictable, predictable patterns if we know our history. And it sounds a lot, right, like the workers in this passage. It sounds like blame. Did you plant bad seeds? It sounds like division. Some of these aren't like us. And it sounds like exclusion. Let's rip them out of here. So maybe this explanation is left in our canon as this helpful example of what not to do with Jesus' words. But what if we want to find good news in this passage? Is there a way? Perhaps. So as you can imagine, with all that produce going bad in our fridge, we've got a very active compost bin. 
in the yard. So at least those leftovers are mostly not going to a landfill, right? Someday we might even get a little bit of soil out of it. That's supposed to be the point of compost. Um, although we do have like, there is some stuff that's turned to dirt at the bottom, but we can't figure out how to get the soil out when there's always new uh, and half decomposed foods on top of it. So it just kind of sits there, but it's out of the landfill and we have had plants grow right in the bin. Sadly, those black beans never seem to sprout anything. But last year, last year we got a full-size squash plant that must have come out of some tossed dinner remains and it grew right there in the bin and it produced two really beautiful butternut squash that we got to cook and eat and then probably tossed the leftovers back into the bin. If we don't want to write those last verses off and we don't want to think of them as a counterexample, if you think Jesus really said them, or if you think we should be guided by them, even if he didn't. If you want to find good news in this passage, here is one more possible interpretation. If this is about people at the end of the age being divided up and thrown into a fire, who does it say is getting thrown into the fire? All who have sinned. Now, who does that include? Anyone listening to this parable, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If that is the case, the burning up of all of our sins is going to make some pretty abundant fuel for the work of the kingdom. But it's more than that, because in the Bible, what does fire do? Usually, and especially in apocryphal literature like this, like Daniel, anything about the end times, fire doesn't destroy, it purifies. It's this image from metallurgy where you prepare metal by heating it up in a furnace until all the impurities burn away and it comes out pure and softened and strengthened and ready to be used. And when it comes out, it is red, hot, and shining, just like the sun. Oh, friends, there are some things in me that probably need to get burned out of there before I am fit for heaven. So it's comforting to know that in the meantime, I don't need to try and tear those parts out of myself. I can just make peace with them and let myself continue to grow and trust that God can use all my sins and all my mistakes and all my weaknesses as fuel for transformation. And it's comforting to me to have words in our scripture that say, yes, evil is real and it is here. It's not in your head. It's present even and sometimes especially when you're trying to do something good. And are those forces beyond our ability to stop? Maybe. But are they our fault? No. And will they be here forever? No. And will they win in the end? No. And in the meantime, can they stop you from growing in all the ways that God needs you to grow? Absolutely not. So however we choose to understand this passage, may it be for all of us this roadmap for resisting the devil. May it check our tendency to write other people off as weeds, help us make peace with the weeds in our own soul. May it remind us of God's great ability to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it to good. May we trust nothing is wasted in God's economy and even old leftovers are given new life in this divine compost bin that God runs. So whether we are gathered in as wheat or gathered in as weeds, we are gathered into the hands of the one who one day will transform us all to be fit for our heavenly home. Amen.